It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, July twenty second, two 2010. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you as always on Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. We look forward to it and we look forward to our Regular listening audience, we hope we've even got some new folks out there tonight listening to the virtual Bible study, perhaps for the first time. And we do hope that you, this is your first time, and if it is, we'll welcome you to the program, let you know we're here just to study the Bible. We don't care about uh, your opinions, we don't care about our opinions, we care about God's opinions, and he's told us his opinions in his word. And we're studying it tonight on the program, and we hope that you have your Bible out and you're ready to study along with us. This is a listener interactive program in which we give you the opportunity to partake in the discussion. You do so by giving us a call at 877-381-4567 or by emailing questions at collegeview.com. And a third way you can participate in the program is a participation with other listeners tonight. Uh, you do this by uh, joining in the chat room tonight. If you're looking at our, our video feed from our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com, Click on the menu button at the bottom of the uh, of the window there where the video is showing, and uh, click go to show page. It'll take you to our uStream.tv page where you can join in a chat room with other listeners. If you're watching us from uStream.tv, you might check out our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com to find out more about uh, our program and about what we believe and what we practice. We're glad that you're part of the program tonight. We look forward to hearing from you. Dad, we've got an interesting uh, program planned for tonight, uh, a review of a very interesting program last week. Yeah, I think tonight the interest in tonight's program is based upon the, the interest that we generated during our discussion last week with John McCullough. John McCullough is uh, a Presbyterian minister in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, we made contact with him through a reference in the Nashville, Tennessean, where he had been quoted concerning recent efforts by the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA to, first of all, ordain active homosexuals into the clergy. They've been, they've been ordaining homosexuals in the clergy before, but they required them to, to remain celibate. Now we don't have any problem with that. He, do what? We wouldn't have any problem with that. Well, I, if they were, if you, if they were celibate, renounce the homosexuality as a sin. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't have any problem with it. Uh, that's not what they were doing. I mean, they, they were not renouncing it as a sinful thing. They were thing, but, being celibate. Okay. But but the thing of it is, now they're wanting to to ordain homosexuals who are active homosexuals in, as John referred to, committed loving relationships. And then they are also uh, their general assembly has also been debating the possibility of redefining marriage to include same sex relationships. So anyway, we interviewed John McCullough last week. We had a lot of feedback from a lot of listeners who were pretty much amazed by the kind of things that John said. And if you are listening to us in the recorded version, if you're not listening to us live, you're maybe listening to our podcast 
or our archive file from our website. Uh, why don't you hit the stop button right now and go back and listen to last week's program. That would be the program from July fifteenth, two 2010. So you understand what we're talking about. Then you could come back and uh, listen to this program later. If you're listening to us live, you can stay tuned because we're going to play back a lot of the audio clips from our interview last week with John. And uh, so we, you will not get the full picture, but you'll be able to follow along with us if you're listening to us live. I, I want to make a disclaimer right here at the first. Uh, uh, John McCullough was very gracious last sure week. Sure was. Conducted himself very admirably. We tried to do the same. We appreciate we, him joining we, us. We had a good discussion, and I think that the tone and the demeanor of the discussion was kept at a proper level. We disagree adamantly, but we can we can disagree in such a way that we present ourselves as Christians. We communicated on Friday, and, uh, and John felt very good about our discussion, and uh, we felt the same way, so we uh, we tried to be now, friendly. Now, we're going we're gonna to play clips back because we just felt like a lot of people had comments that they wanted to make about some of the things that John said. We're going to play clips back. We're going to try to... We're, we're not going to try to take him out of context. We're going to try to give the context of the statements as he made them, and we're going to be commenting about them. We don't mean to be doing this in an unfair way to John. Obviously, after you've had a chance to think about what was said and re-listen to some of the things that were said, we'll have a chance to say some things we didn't say last week. We wanted to give him a lot of leeway to make sure that he's, he could explain his points as fully as he felt necessary. But we're not trying to be unfair to John by reviewing his con- comments and understand that he might, if he had a chance to restate some of the things he said, he might state them differently after re-listening. Sure. So, we, but but we do think this is a worthwhile activity to look at what he said and maybe gives us more time to give what we think is a more thorough scriptural response to some of the things we said or some of the things he said last week because we just didn't have time to do that in last week's program okay and as you're listening tonight or as you listened last week maybe you had some ideas and some thoughts we'd like for you to share them with us at 877-381-4567 that number's toll free or send an email to questions at college.com join in with other listeners in the chat room as well in uh, behind the master control tonight, Anthony Petrochko is here. Anthony, uh, welcome to the program tonight. Thanks. It's good to be here. It's always an enjoyable time to spend on Thursday night, and uh, looking forward to the uh, discussion tonight. And we've got a camera on you tonight, so everybody can uh, look at you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Anthony, you were listening last week at, at home, and uh, you have some thoughts to share as well tonight. Right. Uh, yeah, it, it was definitely, again, I you know, want to echo what uh, what Greg said, it, it Everybody really conducted themselves very cordially and, and a, in a wonderful manner. And uh, but it, as, as was also said, it was very enlightening and kind of eye-opening and and frankly somewhat um, shocking to hear some of the things that were said. And looking forward to investigating those a little more detail. You know, tonight. Dad, I don't know that we could in, would, could disagree with anybody more than we disagreed with some of the things that John said last week, but there's no reason to get ugly in a, in a discussion yeah. like that, and yeah. a lot of people would use that as an excuse to just to act out, and uh, there's no need for that. We appreciate sure. John for, for right. the way he disagreed with us as well. That's right. That's right. Uh, but I, I think there is a, a benefit to a, an interchange with someone like John that comes at religion from a totally different point of view than we do mm-hmm. because i think it highlights the difference between us sure. and and a lot of the difference between us has to do with how we view the bible mm-hmm. and that came out in the in the discussion so just let's just get started by looking at some of the things anthony let's go to number one clip number one sort of began the discussion we're going to take these in chronological order as they happen and this was some of the early comments that John made that begin to highlight the difference in the way 
we approach Scripture. One, one of the concerns that folks like me have had um, is that the present language has uh, elevated the confessions, the creeds that Presbyterian Jews um, uh, over uh, other standards and even uh, has put Scripture as uh, ahead of the actual uh, faithfulness to Christ Jesus as the living Word of God. Now that's interesting. You said that if you put, you can put Scripture ahead of being faithful to Jesus. So, yeah. so, so if you were to stick to the Bible, you wouldn't be faithful to Jesus. In other words, that, that those things are separatable. If I don't, I'm probably made that's up a, a word. word. But that you separable. can separable. You yeah. can separate the idea of. of Jesus and the Word, faithfulness to Jesus and the Word, that those things can be separated, and I really don't think that they can. I was thinking when I heard reheard that comment that John made, I was thinking of the case of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, when Philip, it says, Acts 8 verse 35, opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So what did he preach about? He preached about Jesus. The very next verse says, as they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? How did he know that he needed to be baptized if all that Philip talked to him about was Jesus? Yeah. I think what that text proves, and I think we can prove it from a lot of places in, in the New Testament, is that you cannot separate Jesus from the Word. That sure. they are, In fact, he's called the Word in John chapter 1. Well, I think of 1 John chapter 3, beginning of verse 23, and this is his commandment, we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby know that he abideth in, we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. How do we know that we're in a relationship with Christ? Uh, you know, I think John would say just as long as you're in a relationship with Christ, it doesn't matter if you're following the Word or not. Jesus says... You're going to follow the word, and that's how you'll know that you're having a relationship with me. Well, I don't know if John would say it that way, but what he did say was that you could put the scriptures ahead of Jesus. In other words, that if you followed the scriptures, if you insisted on following the scriptures, you could make the mistake of making that more important than Jesus. And I don't think you, I don't think you can make one more important than the other. All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. So after that, after he said you could put the scriptures ahead of being faithful to Christ, which we don't think you can, it's, it's impossible to do, you ask him, how then do you get authority for what you do? Yeah, I, I ask him, what sort of, how do you rank sources of authority in religion? And here's his comment, number two, Anthony. And as you apply it, and, and, and in the Presbyterian Church, what would be that rank of, of order as to wh- where we get authority for, for such decision-making? Well, it, it sounds kind of trite in a way to say it, but in a certain sense, <laughs> the, the primary really is sort of a what would Jesus do. All right. Well, he, he said that's a trite expression, and I, I agree with him. I mean, that's been overused in the religious okay. world in, in recent years. But he's basically saying that it's a subjective judgment. In other words, instead of going to the Bible as an objective standard, what you do is you have this subjective standard in which you, you in your own mind, try to anticipate what would Jesus do in this situation. And, and I, just, I don't know where we, you would go to the Bible to prove that. 
Well, if you're not going to go to the Bible to find out what Jesus did and the instructions he gave that would tell you what he would do based upon the instructions he's given you, it's just very subjective. Yeah. It's just whatever I think is right. Really, what it boils down to, if it's just what I think Jesus would do, is it really, and I'm not going to go to the Scriptures to prove that, it's just what would I do. Well, for instance, uh, if you needed money, what would Jesus do? Well, I think Jesus would go rob a bank. And you, and you, and you disagree, but so what? If that's what I think Jesus would do right. in that situation, then that's my and if, and if that's my standard, then I can go rob a bank, and you can't tell me I'm wrong to do it. Okay. So I mean, you you see how that just washes out uh, all kinds of things, and and basically makes it a a, a spiritual free for all to do what anybody wants to do. All right, we're going to take a break and give you time to get in on the discussion. What are your thoughts? Did you listen to the program last week? Do you have some ideas and some thoughts from what you heard last week, or do you have some ideas and comments based upon what you've heard so far tonight? The number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. If you're watching us from Ustream.tv and you're in our chat room tonight, we've been able to turn off the moderation feature so you can comment without a username tonight. Uh, we would encourage you to do that. We'd encourage you to get your thoughts in now while we take a break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, my name is Mike Smith, and I'm a member of the College of Church of Christ on Hampshire Pike. Let me ask you some questions. Do you remember when churches insisted on Bible authority for everything they did? Can you recall when church members always expected they thus saith the Lord? Can you remember when the church was well known for its book, chapter, and verse style of teaching and preaching? Are you upset because the church you're attending doesn't always, doesn't always approach things this way anymore? Does it concern you that elders and preachers don't seem to care about Bible authority at all? We're still trying to do everything according to the New Testament pattern. If you're looking for a church like the one you remember from the past, please visit us soon at the College of Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. And uh, as we review our interview last week with the Presbyterian minister from Nashville, uh, John McCullough. Again, we appreciate him being on the program last week, and we appreciate his thoughts in helping us understand uh, where those in the Presbyterian Church are coming from as they uh, give the seal of approval on those who are actively engaged in homosexuality in the Presbyterian Church. We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, or you can send your thoughts via email, questions at collegeview.com. We talked about before the break about uh, the comment that you if you want to find out what you need to do, you just simply ask the question, what would Jesus do? Uh, an anonymous listener in the chat room tonight says, how would you know what Jesus would do uh, if you didn't get it from his word? I think that's absolutely right. I mean... Uh, how would you know? You couldn't know because the scriptures reveal all that we do know about Jesus. We couldn't make any deduction about what he would do separate and apart from the world. So it just becomes very arbitrary and very subjective. Yeah. We got an email from Keith who said, uh, he's saying that today we're bound by our own understanding as our conscious guide. So every man is a law to himself, question mark. So if that is true today, why would it not have been true in the New Testament? Under what rule of his religious interpretation would the apostles have had the right to command the early church to abstain from things strangled in fornication, Acts 15? How could Paul say that we had been freed from sins of our flesh through obedience to the gospel if, in fact, those things were not sinful, Romans 6? And that included fornication. So I think Keith was 
as as he listened to the program last week, was under the same impression we were that you, if you don't have some objective standard, if you leave it up to subjective feelings, man, it's wide open. You know, it, it reminded me of some passages in the Old Testament and Judges that we read a couple times. Judges six seventeen verse six. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. Proverbs talks about the folly of that in numerous places. In Proverbs chapter twelve verse fifteen, the way of the fool, of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsels is wise. Uh, every way, in Proverbs 21, verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. There's all kinds of warnings against doing what I think is right, what I feel is right, without going back to some objective standard, and that being God's Word. Well, what we, as, as we went along in our discussion, what we found out is that John McCullough actually doesn't see the Scripture as a timeless document applicable to all men of all times and all places. Now, we were really starting to boil down to how he gets to where he is now, and that really was a good revelation when we found that out. Let's look at number three, Anthony. There are things about life as we live it, life that we experience it, technological things, but also understandings that uh, uh, that have come to us uh, through the, prop- the, the processes of scientific study and all of that sort of thing that were really unknown to the people of Bible times, even unknown to the people of Jesus' time. And so it's really difficult to, to try to, uh, well, I think it's just not, it's more than difficult, it's, it's really invalid to try to find in the text of the Bible an answer to every contemporary problem directly. Okay. All right. Um, along those lines, we got an email from Eric. And Eric said, Eric's in Fayetteville. Eric's in the chat room listening tonight. Eric, we're glad you're out there. He says, uh, regarding the statement that God speaks to us through practically every sincere form of investigation, uh, being scientific and intellectual, artistic, etc., including novels and plays, we're he did go, We're going to play that in a minute. Okay. All right. Well, I jumped uh, the gun. Uh, you want to wait on that, or you want to go ahead and finish out? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. And read I, I didn't realize you had that quote uh, in there. But uh, if if that were true, then a, how would we know which among the multitude of mixed messages coming from those fields is actually from God? And b, how would we ever know if our society was way off track? That position basically says there's truth everywhere, which in the end uh, means there is no truth. If you have to look at the Bible plus every form of human wisdom out. Uh, to find out, for instance, if homosexuality is a sin, then God has left us in a hopeless situation. Yeah, I think Eric's exactly right. How would we know what other things besides Scripture to take into consideration? You know, a, a guy comes out with a new novel. I haven't read that novel yet, but you have. And so you are incorporating that into your analysis of what's right and wrong and how you should act. But I haven't even read that novel yet. I can't keep up. I mean, they're writing new books every day. There's no standard if, the, if you have that view. Yeah, I mean, you just, it's just impossible. Anthony, let's go ahead and play that, that clip. Clip number five, Anthony. I see the Scripture as one way, not the only way, uh, that God reveals things to us. I think, I think, in fact, all um, 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 sincere uh, um, ways of, of approaching learning, in, you know, investigation and intellectual investigation, really scientific investigation, um, artistic, um, you know, that there are there are understandings of human nature that we 
that we learn that are very profound and very deep, and I would say come to us from God through the work of novelists, playwrights, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, uh, again, that leaves us just uh, awash in uncertainty. I mean, I, I think what John wants to suggest to us is that this gives us some level of confidence or assurance that we have all of these different means and methods by which God is letting us know things. But actually, if, if you analyze that, it just leaves us in a huge quandary. I mean, did that, novel, did that particular novelist, was he trying to reveal something from God to me or not? Uh, and, this, and this portrait artist and this playwright, how will I know... Of all of those things, which ones I am to take into consideration? And as Eric said, you're going to get mixed messages from those mediums. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we have Eric on the line from Fayetteville tonight. Eric has called in. Eric, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Hey, guys. Thanks. Hey, thanks. thanks for enjoying it. I uh, unfortunately couldn't listen live last week, but I listened to a recording of it and made some notes. And, uh, and uh, there's certainly a lot there to talk about, isn't there? Yeah. Certainly is. Uh, and we just read your comment about uh, the idea that we can get truths from God from the arts or from science. Uh, your thoughts about that were, I think, very, very good. Uh, if we're going to be relegated to having to look to uh, these types of uh, revelations, and we're really going to be confused all of our life, aren't we? Well, and not only that, but another thing occurred to me uh, is, and that is, what do we do when, you know, what the sciences or, or you know, intellectualism or philosophers conflicts with the Bible? It's pretty clear that um, in Mr. McCullough's mind, the, the Bible takes a back seat. Well, also, also, Eric, what do we do when those scientists and artists and so forth contradict each other? Each other. <laughs> I know. Is God is God telling me one thing today, and then He's telling me something 180 degrees opposite of that tomorrow? Yeah. Right. Right. Cl- clearly, He would be, and 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 clearly, those things would be different than what they were when we were young, and they'd be what, different than what they were. 100 years ago, and, and, and certainly obviously different than what they were 2,000 years ago. Well, you know, that's sort of what we're left to conclude about the whole matter of homosexuality, though, Eric, because at one point, uh, not too many years ago, uh, scientists were telling us that homosexuality was a mental disorder, and now the scientists are telling us that that's the way you're born. Was God telling us two different things about homosexuality? You know, and to defend that, I don't know if this is one of the clips you guys have, but but it, it, it's uh, it's kind of sickening in a way. But he compared that to churches not allowing uh, mixed uh, racial marriage. Yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, we've got that. We're gonna look at that, Anth- uh, Eric. You're right. That, that's, that's totally an unfair. Yes. Uh, those aren't those aren't a, a, a parallel. That's apples and oranges for sure. Right. Hey, uh, you know, real real quick before we pass from this and get to another clip, hang on there, Eric, and comment with us. Uh, you know, he said that it's invalid to try and find. In the Bible, the answers for the things we're dealing with today. The Bible doesn't deal with everything we're we're dealing mm, with today. Okay. I just wanted to throw into the to the mix Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, which says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Everything we need to know is there. And I, I I just seriously disagree with what John said when he suggested that it's an invalid attempt to try and find in the Bible the answers to the things that we're dealing with in the in, in the present world. I think he's wrong. I think, and really, if you consider it, it reflects upon the wisdom of God. God, in His wisdom, could not reveal a word that would be applicable. Right, and His answer to that was well. You know, Jesus said, "Pluck your eye out." And clearly, we 
we would agree with that you have to apply the you know proper interpretation to scriptures in order to to understand the message that God had for us. That obviously Jesus' parables and then lots of things require interpretation on our part. But just because we have to interpret something in terms of its context and the audience and and the imagery that's used and the figurative language does not mean though that therefore it doesn't mean anything and we can just throw it out and and it's everybody just decide what you want to believe. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right, uh, what's your next clip you got there? Well, uh, let's go to four, Anthony, uh, talking about the fact that he thinks modern man understands things that people in the Bible times couldn't have understood. All right. But one of the, the, the from my perspective, um, we simply understand sexuality in the broad sense and homosexuality in particular in a much deeper uh, way a much, I think, truer way than than the people of the of biblical times did. Okay, so he says we understand things about human sexuality, including homosexuality, in a truer way. And while we're while we're at that, let's go to clip nineteen, Anthony. And I think this was this was the, the, almost the very last thing that was said on the program last week, oh, but yes, perhaps the most startling of everything that he said. All right. John, do do you think that you understand more about sexuality than Jesus did? About Jesus, I'm not going to presume to say I do, but I think it's probably true. My understanding of Jesus is that he was uh, uh, as fully human. He was limited in his understandings to what um, the you know the wisest person of his time understood, and I do think probably I do understand homosexuality better than Jesus did. Okay, so he sort of didn't want to come out and say that he did, but finally in the end he did say that he understood more about homosexuality than You know, than what, was, what was initially startling about his response was, you know, if someone said to you, Jacob, do you think you know more than Jesus did? I can, you, I can stop you right you, now you, you, no. You'd jump back and say, oh, no way. I don't way, care no. what subject you're talking about. You'd say, oh, no way, no way I would ever want to suggest that. But when, when you ask him that question, he went, hmm. <laughs> he had to stop. And then he ultimately said, yeah, I think I do know more about that subject than Jesus did. And I think that was that was just so telling. I mean, uh, if you're going to go there, then there's really there's there's really no basis for agreement. No, what we would like to do would be to have an agreement among all people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. But with all due respect to John, we can't do that with John if that's his view that Jesus was not knowledgeable about the things that we are now knowledgeable. You know, the very suggestion that a mortal human being in today's world could be superior in knowledge to the Lord Jesus Christ, the co-creator of all the universe, right. is just startling. Well, I don't know if you had this part in the clip you just played, but the um, he made a statement about his uh, Christology, I think he called it, but that uh, he believed that Jesus' wisdom would have been no greater than that of the wisest men of his day. Exactly. Yeah, that was the, yeah, that. Was, Eric, Eric, for those who are listening, Eric can't hear the clips while we're playing them. But yeah, that was in that clip, Eric. Well, if that's the case, well, number one, why bother? I mean, I guess we can just read what Jesus thought, just as yet, an, you know, one other thing to consider. But we might as well be reading from all of the, you know, Greek and Roman philosophers and, and other people like that, because Jesus wouldn't bring anything new or insightful to the table, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, that some of those great philosophers of that day 
might have been speaking just as authoritatively as Jesus himself uh, on various subjects. How would we know? All right. Well, Eric, uh, we're up against a break, and so we'll let you drop off now. But we appreciate you being out there in Fayetteville and for your comments tonight. Thanks, guys, for letting me on. All hang, right, in the, you, hang in the chat room there, and uh, you can comment with the other guys out there. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Eric. All, All right. right, we'll take a break, and uh, we'll get this week's bullet point. When we come back, we'll hopefully take your call and your comments via email. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It's common to see advertisements for the military services. With the advent of the all-volunteer army, it has become necessary to present the armed forces in an attractive way to potential recruits. Thus, we are shown soldiers learning valuable life skills, enjoying the sights in exotic foreign places, and generally benefiting from the experiences of military life. The idea, of course, is that you can have these same benefits if you will simply sign on the dotted line. What the recruiting advertisements do not show are the scenes of war and death that also have the potential of occurring for anyone in uniform. The reason is obvious. If the hardships and bloodshed of combat were shown to prospective soldiers, there would be a considerable drop in enrollees. Therefore, recruiters show the positive rewards of military service while downplaying the negative aspects. Christ has called us to be soldiers in his spiritual army. That type of terminology is used in Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 17, and 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. We are certainly exposed to the benefits of such service, including all the spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 3, as well as necessary physical provisions, Matthew 6, verse 33. But it is significant that the hardships of our warfare are not hidden from us. In fact, the Lord has told us that there is cross-bearing to be done and that we should count the cost of discipleship. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and following. The Apostle Paul, who himself served as an example of the sufferings that Christians may face, said simply, All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. So there are pros and cons to being a Christian, and the Lord wants you to know that. But the pros far offset the cons. Paul, even as his own life was about to end in martyrdom, wrote, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Can we enlist you in the Lord's army? You will not be sorry for making the commitment. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're reviewing our interview with the Presbyterian preacher from Nashville, John McCullough, last week. And again, we'll remind you that we're very thankful for uh, John joining and, us. And, and we're, we're not, not trying, trying to take to unfair. No, we're not trying to take unfair pot shots at John. He's a he's a good guy, and we appreciated the way he conducted himself last week. Yeah. But we do feel uh, uh, it's important to review some of the things he said because we gave him a lot of airtime last week to try and explain himself as thoroughly as he needed sure. to. So we're we're giving our rebuttal to yeah. that, and so yeah. uh, we're not trying to take him out of context or uh, put words in his mouth. We're just trying to review the things that he said. We'd like to hear from you. The phone line is open at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. You can send your emails to questions at collegeview.com, or you can join in the chat room with other listeners. They've got a lot of activity going on in the chat room yeah, right now. Yeah, you don't have to be logged on tonight in the chat room, so you can uh, comment anonymously if you'd like, or if you'd like to create a, an account and uh, and assign a username to yourself, uh, you can do that as well. Uh, someone in our live studio audience made a good observation during the break, Jacob, that this 
if Jesus was only as wise as the wisest person of his day, and we're wiser than he is now because of things that we've learned in the last 2,000 years, then the rule that John said he likes to apply, what would Jesus do, is a bad rule. If you think about it that way, sure. I, I think that's exactly right. So we appreciate that. You input. would be relegating your decision to someone who doesn't know as much as you. And, Anthony, you had a comment uh, during the break as well uh, about uh, the wisdom of Christ. Right. I was just, you know, if you think about, if, if you do look at the scriptures, which I'm not sure if, you know, John was not necessarily advocating doing so, but if you did look at the scriptures, you would see pretty clearly that Jesus was not an ordinary human being. Um, for example, at, at the age of 12, if I'm not mistaken, we have the story of of uh, when when his family went to Jerusalem and and uh, they were starting back home and they noticed he wasn't with them. Well, where was he? He was in the temple arguing with the the chief priests and the and the people there in the in the synagogue in the temple um, at the age of twelve. And of course, we know um, further through the Gospels we see how he knew people's hearts. He knew their motivations. He was able to he his knowledge clearly transcended that of just, uh, you know, the wisest person of his time. All right. Along those lines, Anthony, uh, Brad in the chat room says, uh, I believe that McCullough said that he believed Jesus could have been mistaken about something. In parentheses, he says, to be fair, only during his human incarnation, McCullough said. But he's, uh, Bradley goes on to say that rather undermines the idea of a perfect man, which the scriptures claim Jesus to have been during his walk on earth. If he was mistaken, he wasn't perfect. Right. Okay. Well, uh, I don't. I don't know how John would answer that, but I think that that is that is a question that deserves to be asked. An anonymous listener says it appears from your clips that it is not possible to come to a common agreement with the fellow if in the clips if you believe the Word of God as the final authority in all matters, which and, we do, and so we do. We're not we're not playing by the same standard here. We're not uh, we're not directing. Okay, yeah, you can't you can't do anything unless you agree on the rules. You can't right. play a ball game together unless you agree on the rules. And we can't we can't work together religiously if we don't agree on the rules. Anthony, right? And and you know I don't. John's got he's got this all planned out at least for the most part. I think we could see that some things he wasn't quite sure about on the spot at least. But he's got this planned out that. We should approach things, you know, what would Jesus do, and we shouldn't elevate the scriptures. But my question I sort of keep coming back to is where where did he arrive at that at that methodology? Because mm-hmm. it's not in the Bible, so did he just come up with this on his own? And if so, you know, then again, we're, we've got every man directing his own steps. And exactly right. So it's just kind of a circular argument. All right. We're not making much headway on the Real quickly, Johnny, Johnny and Leoma sends in an email and says, uh, this guy's views concerning the inspiration and infallibility of Scripture should have been discussed first. After finding out that this guy does not believe in the inspired Word of God, this sh- would have ended the discussion for me. If you cannot agree on such uh, important matters, then you have no common ground. I agree, John. We don't have common ground, but that's that's what we were illustrating with with that dis, with that uh, interview. Really, is that that's the reason why there's so much division in the religious world. We have no common ground. You know, we we wanted to talk to John because of the the uh, homosexuality decision in the Presbyterian Church, but it went a lot farther than that. What this illustrates is that if we do not demand Bible authority for everything, we cannot demand it for anything. Exactly. And That's the, a good the, way to put the, it. The Presbyterian Church didn't get where they are today by accepting homosexuality. They didn't get that way overnight. 
It was a gradual progression over time, and, which and they eroded he, the, the... And he admitted that in the discussion, that 50 yeah. years ago they didn't believe that. Right. But the, the authority of the scriptures was eroded a little at a time, a little at a time, and the Presbyterian Church is not the only church that has eroded the authority of the scriptures. We see it all over the place in the denominational world today, and sadly there are churches of Christ today who are doing that, eroding uh, the authority of the scripture a little bit at a time, and we see that they're starting down the same path that will lead to the same place the Presbyterian Church is today, yeah. given enough time. Jeff sends an email and simply asks, what about John 1, 1 through 5, which refers to Jesus as the Word, and he was with God in the beginning, and everything that was created was created by him. He, and I think the, uh, the implication of Jeffrey's message is, uh, how, could, how could we do that? How could that be so if he didn't know what he's talking about? Mike, uh, in, here in Columbia, Tennessee, says, wasn't the Roman Empire known for rampant homosexuality during Paul's time, maybe even more rampant than it is now in our society? Yet it seems like Mr. McCullough is saying that Jesus and Paul had no idea what it was or what, or that it was something so foreign that it wasn't that common. I think Mike, what Mike is saying there is they knew a lot about homosexuality back in that time. It was in very active practice in the times of the Roman Empire in the first century. So it's not like they never heard of homosexuality before. Right, right, right. And so, Eric has commented on that as well. Uh, he, he says in the Roman times uh, uh, that, uh, and I think Brad as well, that uh, Romans were very uh, accepting of homosexuality. Uh, all right. So, all right. Let's quickly, let's go to clip seven. A little more on the idea of the scriptures, the inspiration, the infallibility of the scriptures. John said he didn't believe in it. Number seven. Do you believe the Bible's inspired by God? Uh, I, I would I would say in in the broader sense yes, um, not not word by word. Uh, All right, and so then you would not use the word infallible uh, no, in reference. No, okay, no. and you would and you would disagree with no. you would. You would I, mean, I mean, you know, here's a, here's a nice little clue for that. Uh, um, in, in the in the synoptics, Jesus is. Uh, Oh, I think it's the where the disciples are in the wheat field plucking grain. I think that's the deal. And then the Pharisees confront Jesus, and he uh, he uh, uh, cites the story of David and his men who right. uh, Matthew twelve, who take right? The, uh-huh. the, the showbread, and 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 actually, I guess misremembers who actually was the high priest in those times. If you go back to to Kings and, and compare it, the names are not the same. And to me, that's not a problem, you see. Okay, I'm not sure. But if you have an infallible view, I think you've got an answer for that. Okay. All right, I've I got to make a correction here from something I said last week. He, he brought up the fact that the Scriptures are not infallible, and he used an example concerning the reference Jesus made to David going to the high priest and receiving the showbread, which he should not have eaten. Okay. That that accounts in Mark 12. It's also in, excuse me, it's in Matthew 12. It's also in Mark 2 and in Luke chapter 6. And I told him I didn't think that the high priest was named. In Matthew and Luke's account, it's not. But in Mark 2, Jesus does name the high priest and he calls him Abiathar. Well, Abiathar was not the priest. Ahimelech was the high priest at that time. Abiathar was actually his son who escaped and carried word of the massacre because Saul slaughtered all the priests when he found out that they had given assistance to David. And uh, Abiathar was the, the, the son of Ahimelech, the priest, who escaped and got a message to David. And and Jesus, uh, in Mark 2, it's, it's, 
it's the way it's worded. Jesus named Abiathar as the high priest, and he wasn't. Ahimelech was the high priest. Now, every reference that I look to, all, all textual critics and scholars of that sort quickly acknowledge that that's probably a a copyist error in the manuscripts, that they copied down the wrong name. Uh, and John assumes that Jesus was wrong, that he named the wrong guy, that Jesus, therefore, is not infallible and the word is not infallible. Uh, he is. He goes against, I think, accepted scholarship on that text because the scholars who study such things say that was probably a copyist error. But I was wrong when I said that the high priest was not mentioned. Play 7B real quick for us, too, Anthony. Any alleged contradiction of the Scripture can be resolved, and we study that a good bit because it's it's a fundamental element of our faith. I understand that. And, and, and see, it's like I, I, I don't have to, have to worry about that because, you know, to me uh, – it's not a problem for for Jesus to to uh, have made a mistake. Okay, so uh, he says Jesus made mistakes. Yeah, he said or, Jesus. You know, he didn't no, no, necessarily no. say he did, but he could have, and it doesn't bother John. When you look at that, either somebody made a copying error as those handwritten manuscripts were being copied, or Jesus made a mistake. The only begotten Son of God, co-creator of the universe, uh, the living Word. So which one would you, I mean, where would you jump if you were going to say, obviously somebody made a mistake there, where are you going to jump? I'm going to jump and say the copyist, and that's what most textual critics say, the copyist likely made an error there. But he's ready to say Jesus made an error because it's in line with his thinking that Jesus was only as smart as the smartest man of his time. Brad has a different take on it. He says, I think you'll find uh, Abiathar and Ahimelech. Uh, and even interchanged even in the Old Testament. He said, having a chance to check them all out. But he says, uh, James Burton Kaufman's interpretation of Jesus' naming Abiathar is this. Jesus is giving the true accounts. The Old Testament record is backwards. Could be. Okay. Could be. All right. Uh, so, but uh, then uh, Brad says perhaps that's wrong. And so the, the, for those who want to investigate that a little more thoroughly, the, the Old Testament text in question is in First Samuel 21 and 22. Okay. But there, the King James Version at least says Abiathar was the son of Ahimelech. Brad goes on and says that seems unlikely, the, inter- the idea that the Old Testament is backwards, uh, though as many times as Abiathar is correctly identified as the son that escaped. Yeah. Okay, we need to go out to the, on the phones uh, to Ben in Iowa. Ben, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Well, thank you. Thank you for I was, calling. I was just wondering, you know, Paul writes in Romans, the first chapter, like starting at verse 27, he says, Likewise, also the men leaving their natural use for women, burned in their lust one towards another. And then he goes on and he mentions... A bunch of other things, backsliders and covenant breakers, and goes on. In verse 32, he says, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now, if they were worthy of death then, how could they be uh, preachers now? now? How could they be acceptable to God now? If, how could they be acceptable now? I'm going to hang up. And listen good good observation, you. Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for calling, Ben. Um, we appreciate that call. You know, we talked to him about Romans chapter 1, and he says the only problem that was uh, there in Romans chapter 1, and he's not the only one who makes this argument, is that it was a lustful act. Go to go to clip 14, uh, Anthony. I see that. You know, if, if there's truth for us, the principle for us in there, I think the principle is not so much the gender of the people hooking up with one another, if you will, but whether or not the relationships are simply relationships of lustful 
desire for another person or whether, you know, that, that's what I'm really seeing in that, 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 it is, that it is sexuality run amok. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's also do clip 15, uh, Anthony. Let me ask you, would you agree that homosexuality from that passage would be unnatural? Well, see, for Paul, it certainly was. I mean, Paul, Paul and nobody in that time had the understanding of homosexuality that we have today. Well, they, they call it unnatural. I mean, Paul calls it unnatural in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Uh, it, it's contrary to God's design. Well, he says it's sexual. It's homosexuality run amok, or sexuality run amok. They just it's just lustful, uh, abusive, or uh, uh, exploitive relationship. The text doesn't say that. It says they desired one another with strong desire, but you you couldn't deduce from the text that it was an unloving relationship that they shared between one another. That's that's reading between the lines. The text doesn't say that, and so he's. He's placed a, a, a slant there on Romans chapter 1 that you just can't do from the Scripture. All right, I need to ask you a uh, procedural question. Uh, shall we go through the break and skip it, or should we take a... Let's, let's a, skip the break. We're, we're, we're running out of time. Let's get a few more of these quotes. Okay. All right, uh, let's go to number 6, Anthony, because I think this is very telling as well. But my perspective is that, that when... And let me use first-person plural. When we... Um, put the kind of authority on Scripture that says we can go to a certain chapter, a certain verse, and there we hear, you know, the literal Word of God. When we do that, I believe we elevate those texts, those words on the page, or, you know, however, we elevate them, in fact, above the the the... Well, above God, that it, that it becomes a form of idolatry, it seems to me. Um, it, it, it seems to me that that perspective freezes worldviews, uh, attitudes toward a lot of things um, in a certain, um, you know, uh, 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 cultural, social milieu from 2,000 years ago and more uh, for the Hebrew Bible, and, and presumes that, in fact, God cannot or will not teach us anything new. Okay. You know, he says that if we take the Scripture, that it would be possible to elevate that above God. But the Scriptures tell us that they are the mind of God. In mm-hmm. First Corinthians chapter 2, uh, beginning of verse 9, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man that is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. We couldn't know anything about the mind of God except what he revealed to us, and what he revealed to us is in the Word. Right. So John's saying that if you take the Scriptures and you follow them, you'll elevate them above the mind of God. John purports to be able to know the mind of God without the Spirit revealing it to him in the Word. We see a definite contradiction. Yeah, for sure. Quick, right. Quickly, in the chat room, 
Uh, Brad says it's significant that the Bible never, not once, presents homosexuality in a good light, not once. And Eric adds, if if homosexuality is okay, then how is it regulated? The Presbyterians have added this qualification of a committed relationship but where did that come from? We don't see anything about a committed relationship yeah. with homosexuals. How, 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 how do they know it has to be a committed relationship? The only thing that the scriptures tell me is that you have to have a committed heterosexual relationship. Jesus did say if you're going to be heterosexual, it's got to be uh, in a committed relationship. But uh, nowhere in the scriptures do we see that homosexual has to be yeah. a committed relationship. Okay. All right, we've got to move quickly Good point, to Eric. catch a few more of these things. Okay. Now let's go to 8, Anthony. Time to take your call, though. 877-381-4567 or send an email to questions at collegeu.com. The chat room is very busy tonight. We're going to miss some of those comments but you can follow along with other listeners there. Anthony? Could we expect that other things might in the future, by the, by the edict of, of your General Assembly, be deemed acceptable that are not now? For instance, and I, I mean, just, just, to, just to grab something out of the air, what about uh, um, incestuous relationships or pedophilia or... Uh, uh, Bestiality. I mean, is, could it be so that at some point off in the future, uh, the Presbyterian churches say, you know, we've been way off on that bestiality thing for a long time, and we think we're just going to say it's okay now? Could, could, could that happen? I, I don't see that happening. But no. why? Well, why? My question is, why not? I mean, if that became well, okay, if that became okay, culturally let, let or accept, say, uh, let, socially let accepted, say, when the Bible talks about that. It, it really, you know, is is talking about. I, I, I presume, uh, first of all, it's talking about the. You know, I, I think one of the issues with bestiality is the fact that it's that it's uh, um, an abuse of the animal. Well, the the scripture doesn't say that. He really had. He really struggled with that, though. Yeah. He couldn't. He he had trouble saying no. Bestiality will never be. He had struggled with that, and you would have to struggle with that unless you could go to the scriptures and say it's wrong and we'll never accept. Well, it. Well, I suppose that there could. I mean, I don't want to get too graphic here, but I suppose there are ways that it could be abusive the animal. But but I suppose that there are ways that it could be something that that would that the animal would not feel abused about. I'm not going to go into detail, but I'm just saying. To assume that it's only condemning abuse of animals, it doesn't say that in text. It says that a man can't lie with an animal as he lies with a woman. Uh, in the Old Testament text, it was strictly forbidden. And, and you know, again, John is supplying something there that the text doesn't say. It just says it's forbidden. How do, how do why, and, but he couldn't answer the question. 50 years from now, could the Presbyterian Church no. come along and say, it's okay? He didn't say no. He jumped on to the bestiality question you gave, but he didn't well, say the, no. The, there would never be anything accepted that we're not accepting. Go, go to nine, Anthony. We, uh, I pressed him about pedophilia. Let's talk about the question of pedophilia. Pedophilia, no. Well, okay. there, But there no. are people who are saying, that in some very liberal philosophical circles, John, there are people who are saying... Very, very liberal philosophical, but not very liberal religious. Well, but could it change? That's my question to you. Could, no. Could the thinking... No. No, there's no, there's no way that any religious body that I would respect would say pedophilia is okay. Okay. All right, Anthony, your thoughts. Right. I, you know, I think in, um, the whole issue here is, you know, right now in the year 20, 2010, we feel very enlightened. We think homosexuality is okay, but we don't think bestiality or pedophilia is okay. But 50, 60, 70 years ago, we wouldn't have thought homosexuality was okay. So, again, how can you draw a line in the sand right now in 2010 and say for sure 
that bestiality and pedophilia wouldn't be okay when, you know, we're just, when uh, 30 years from now, we're more knowledgeable. We know yeah. more now. Well, it, may, it may be the reason we're condemning is because we just don't know enough yet. Exactly. We're not you, enlightened. Uh, you know, uh, I, I talked to a psychologist who told me that in the same academic circles that 50 years ago were promoting homosexuality as right and good, that in those same intellectual circles today, they're promoting pedophilia in loving relationships between adults and children as being good and proper and even helpful and beneficial to the child. And so, you know, what's scary is that if they are as successful in promoting that agenda as they have been in promoting the homosexual agenda, and even people, religious people like John, have 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 been taken in by their persuasiveness. I, I would say that we it's only a matter of time before they'll sign off on pedophilia. I don't know about bestiality, but I think it's only a matter of time before in some of those same circles they're going to be saying that pedophilia is okay. All right, let's go to clip number 12, Anthony. You see, really, really the, the issue of incest, I mean, the, the religious community doesn't have to worry about that because... We don't have know, to worry about that, do you know? That's, you know, the society as a whole... Well, but, John, if we were to back up Uh 50 years ago in the Presbyterian Church, they would have been saying that about homosexuality. 50 years? Yes, 100 years ago, 100 years ago, well, actually 50 years ago still, almost 50, let's go 60 or 70 years ago, they would have been saying the same thing about marriage, uh, interracial marriage. (laughs) They they would have been wrong about interracial marriage because there's no Bible for that. There's, you can't support that conclusion with any Bible text that I know of, but there's multiple Bible texts that condemn homosexuality, and so there I think would be the critical difference. Okay, uh, we also we also pressed him. We asked him on the incest question. On the incest question, I don't think you've got that clip, but we asked him, uh, would it be wrong uh, incest be wrong between two consenting adults that love themselves, like his neighbors? He said that were homosexual that love themselves. And uh, he never answered that. Uh, Brad said, noted that he didn't uh, answer our challenge. He says uh, they're adults and consenting. What you're seeing in, jo- in McCullough's answer is a personal taste, and it certainly is. It's his judgment. It's not yeah. anything, any absolute standard. It's what he thinks. Yeah. We're right. just about out of time. But I tell you, I think maybe one of the best interchanges we had as far as pinning him down was number 16, Anthony, on the on the homosexuality is, is genetically caused. Let's talk about that one real quickly here at the end of the program. I mean, there is there is mounting evidence that there are genes that predispose people to be attracted to the same gender from birth, and and if you if you really know any if you really know any gay or lesbian persons, I'm sure they will tell you that they are quite confident that God made them the way they are. Well, i got to stop you right there. Uh, I don't think that that's anywhere close to being established scientifically, but beside, let that be beside the point. What about drunkenness? The, the, we're told that, that the, some people are genetically predisposed to, to drunkenness. Does that make it okay for them since they have a genetic predisposition toward alcohol uh, addiction? That, that therefore that's excused but, on their part? By the way, in the time that Paul wrote his condemnation of drunkenness, they didn't understand about the gene that may have predisposed one towards drunkenness. Is it, is it acceptable today, based upon our understanding, that there are some people who are predisposed to drunkenness, and uh, therefore it's acceptable? Um, 
I don't. I don't think. I don't find drunkenness. Uh, you know, habitual drunkenness or extreme drunkenness endangering people's lives. I don't consider that to, to be acceptable, whether or not the, the, no. the genetic predisposition. Well, you just you just yielded a point there, John. We, we no, got you. No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, he did. He did, in fact, yield a point there. He said, here's a guy with a genetic predisposition to, to alcoholism, but it doesn't matter. It's still wrong. Right. So he yielded a point. He's saying there are people who have a, pre, a genetic predisposition to homosexuality, therefore it's okay. So why is it okay? Why does the genetic predisposition make homosexuality okay, but it, a, a genetic predisposition doesn't make drunkenness okay? If you've got it's got to you got to be consistent on that rule, right? And he's not. All right, and uh, we're just about out of time. Anthony, you got a quick comment? Well, I just noticed in the in the chat room there was a, a good comment by Brad who was saying that you know uh, his opinion on say homosexuals and whether or not they were acceptable to God probably changed uh, when he met some and got to know some and and that got found out they were really good people when it, when you boil it down. So again, what we're we're appealing to just our carnal nature and our our own understandings. Like we know this guy, you know, they're not a bad pretty, person. Pretty nice guy. Right. So it, it's it's all just it's all very subjective. All right. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the bottom line, Anthony. And everything that he said was based upon his subjective feelings about it, rather than some objective standard in the Word of God. Yeah, well, when you throw the Bible away, that's all you're left with. Let's just do one more, Anthony. Let's do 18. We're out of time. Okay, now, what about the denomination that does not accept homosexuals? Are they going to heaven? Um, not accepting homosexuals will not bar them from heaven. Okay. All right, so we're safe on that question then. Okay. Well, uh, but, well, but we're safe because we're going with the Scripture. That's too. right. That's right. The, the question, in other words, John acknowledges that we would be okay but we got to say that in all due respect and in loving concern for John's souls and those who think like he thinks, we're seriously concerned because they have violated the plain teaching of the Word of God in the matter of accepting homosexuality as as a as a righteous thing. We didn't we didn't get to hear the quote, but in one place he actually says that a loving homosexual homosexual relationship is a loving. A loving homosexual relationship is a righteous thing. Well, you know, one of the quotes that we didn't have and I really liked is where Eric sent in an email and asked, how do you determine what's righteous and what's unrighteous? And he couldn't answer that question. He stumbled and he said, well, that's a good question. He didn't have an answer for that. And you couldn't have an answer unless you had an objective standard. You'd be saying, well, I don't know what's righteous. What you do, what you think is righteous, I'll do what I think is righteous, and we'll just have to say everything's righteous uh, if you don't have an objective standard. Well, bottom line, we're out of time, but bottom line, I think that the program last week illustrated what happens when you depart from Bible authority. Sure. And we've been emphasizing that all night long. When you depart from Bible authority, there's no stopping place. And John, a good fella, we again really appreciate him taking the time to interview with us last week and the good manner in which he conducted himself. But John is a good example of an extreme case of those who have left Bible. And he's Bible consistent. He's very consistent. He, yeah. The, yeah, he tries to be consistent in application. And, and when he is, man, the barn door is thrown wide open. And there are a lot of people, maybe even people listening today, who are in the same position. They're headed down the same road that will lead to where John is today because they're saying, well, I know that the Scriptures don't authorize this, but I'm going to do it anyways. And the minute you say that, 
you have thrown the barn door open and you can't stop anything after that. Exactly right. All right, Anthony, thanks for uh, being in the chat room tonight. Enjoyed the discussion. Chat room on the the control board. The master control there. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. It was a good study and... um you know, I'm glad we had a chance to do this follow-up. And the listeners liked being able to look at you rather than us on occasion. There you go, mixing uh, things up a little bit. All right. Bit. Uh, Dad, thank you for the discussion. I, again, appreciate John for his joining us yeah. last week. Thank you, Jacob. All right. We look forward to you being back here next week. For By another- the way, next week, oh, a right. milestone next yeah, week we begins. Yeah. This, is, this program ends five full years of the virtual Bible study. Next week begins our sixth year of the virtual Bible study. We'll comment more about that next week. All right. The fifth year is in the books uh, as of now. So we appreciate you being a part of, of the program tonight. And we look forward to being back here next week. We may do something special next week. We haven't decided yet what we'll do. Yeah, maybe a birthday cake or something. No, <laughs> I, I don't think so. All right. Uh, a virtual birthday cake, maybe. We uh, hope that you'll be back here next week for uh, another edition of the virtual Bible study as we begin our sixth year. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.